Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We were with the bushfires, so we weren't at the table. You know, with the vaccine rollout, we weren't at the table. We were just not at the table. I'm Sarah Wilson, and you're listening to This Wild Election, a mini-series that will help everyone who gives a shit about the stuff that defines our nation to make their vote count. For 15 years, governments have promised to hold a referendum where Australians could have a say on whether we should enshrine a First Nations voice to Parliament in the Constitution, an issue which has been shown time and time again to be the most important first step to closing the yawning and still growing gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Now, the polls say that three quarters of us want it. And yet here we are again facing an election where the issue is still being kicked down the road with First Nations people once again issuing their invite to Australians to help them help their people. It was in 1967 that Aboriginal people were given the vote in this country. But since then, they've become the most incarcerated people in the world. They're jailed at 13 times the rate of non-Indigenous Australians. And if we take another metric from the Closing Gap report, half of the 40,000 kids in foster care, an issue very close to my heart, or out-of-home care as it's often called, are Indigenous, while only representing 3% of the population. I think it's 1 in 18 Indigenous kids are in fact in foster care. All I can say to everyone listening here, it is time for us to do this. It's time for us to try something different. And I invite you, in fact, I urge you to listen to the Uluru Statement from the Heart, in which Australians were formally invited to support First Nations people in this effort. And it was worded as a gift that was being offered to us. It gets me every time. And I've got to say, I can't even talk about it without crying, as you'll hear in this interview. When we have power over our destiny, our children will flourish. They will walk in two worlds and their culture will be a gift to their country. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. Makarata is the culmination of our agenda, the coming together after a struggle. It captures our aspirations for a fair and truthful relationship with the people of Australia and a better future for our children based on justice and self-determination. We leave base camp and start our trek across this vast country. 
and we invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. As I say, I urge you to read it or listen to the whole statement, and I've put the link in the show notes at the end. Today then, I've asked Professor Megan Davis to come and talk through all things Voice to Parliament. Megan is a cobble-cobble Aboriginal woman and international human rights lawyer. She was the first Indigenous Australian to sit on a United Nations body, and that was as chair of the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. She's also the commissioner of the Australian Rugby League Commission and, of course, one of the architects of the Uluru Statement from the Heart and the first person, in fact, to read it out loud to the nation. Professor Megan Davis, thank you so much for joining us as we're so close to the election. Thank you for having me. Well, look, this is a conversation, you know, the, the call for a Indigenous voice in Parliament enshrined in the Constitution. It's been a conversation that's been going on for years, right? Like I think Howard first promised a referendum on this back in 2006. Have I got that right? Yeah, so John Howard did promise a referendum in his first 100 days to recognise Indigenous peoples in the Constitution. I think the important thing about that election commitment was that he only wanted symbolism. So he wanted a symbolic form of recognition that didn't actually do anything. It didn't empower people or it didn't compel the state to do something. It was just a statement of fact in the constitution. The conversation sort of started a long way back, you know, and this can has been kicked down the road for a long time. Yeah. We've been advocating for some form of participation in the democratic life of the colonies and then the states since probably the early 1800s. That predated federation, obviously, so we're talking about colonial parliament. But even post-federation, our people have been advocating for some mechanism that would enable us to have a voice in democratic decision-making about us. So um, this pursuit of constitutional recognition, and there's many things that constitutional recognition can be, has been pretty much a staple of the Aboriginal movement for rights since the arrivals of the British. The most modern iteration, of course, is probably the Republic referendum, where in the preamble that uh, John Howard put together with, I think, Aidan Ridgway from the Democrats at the time. So that's a blast from the past. Isn't Um, it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They put up a preamble that failed. But there was a line in that preamble that referred to First Nations people, to Indigenous peoples. But um, obviously the preamble went down. Everybody effectively voted no. I think ACT were the only group who voted yes. But since that time, all of the parties, whether it's the Greens, Labor or the Liberal Party, they all had constitutional recognition of First Nations people as a part of their policy. So it wasn't until Julia Gillard was faced with a hung parliament and they had to negotiate power in the lower house to take government. It was the Greens and Rob Oakeshott and Tony Windsor who said to her, look, everybody has supported constitutional recognition since the Republic referendum. We think it's time we got this to the Australian people via a referendum. And so that was the first process that was set up late 2010. And it ran over 2011 and the report was handed to Julian Gillard in 2012 in January. And I was a part of that expert panel. So that kicked off, Sarah, probably we're now in the second decade of constitutional recognition in Australia, so it's been 11 years. It's been something like seven processes, fully transparent, taxpayer-funded, you know, parliamentary-supervised processes, and 10 reports. 
that's a lot of policy work in one space. So you're right. The point that you're making is this has been going on for a very, very long time. I guess the upside of this is that it's a very refined concept now. I've heard you speak about just the detail that you've gone into and the contingencies, and it's a very refined policy concept now. But, of course, then in 2017, we had the Uluru Statement from the Heart, and I'm wondering if you can take us back to that moment. What really struck me when I heard it back in 2017 is that there was an invite offered. And I think it was also phrased as a gift to the Australian people, as opposed to it being a political thing. If you can outline what that invite was, the three components of what was being presented to Australians as a gift of sorts. Yes, the the three options didn't arise out of nowhere. So we ran what we call deliberative dialogue in 13 parts of Australia and what we call the regional dialogues. And then we ran a national constitutional convention. And the options on the table were the options from the expert panel ran by Gillard and also some other reforms that Chawton and Turnbull agreed to us to take out. They had been agreed to by both sides of politics that, that these were viable options for change. So... The Uluru Statement was the culmination of all of those regional dialogues and the First Nations men and women who participated in them. They then elected people to attend the National Convention out at The Rock, out at Uluru. The work of the National Convention was merely to read out and it emphasised the position of all of the people in the regions. So the regional preferencing in terms of reforms was that every single dialogue unanimously wanted a constitutional voice to the parliament. The second reform that people prioritised was agreement making. Now, agreement making is also known as treaty. You would never have one treaty in Australia. You'd have multiple treaties, but treaty was the second reform. The third one is truth-telling. So the importance of Aboriginal history and Australian history was the third priority and this became colloquially known as voice treaty truth or if we stay true to the Uluru statement from the heart voice makarata so makarata is a yoni word for a ceremony a dispute resolution ceremony and it's about the coming together after a struggle and so that's really what the Uluru statement is we didn't have first contact treaties in Australia And so the word reconciliation and the framework of reconciliation is poorly applied to Australia because it assumes there was friendly relations prior. Our old people said at Uluru, we have never met. We have never met with the Australian people. And that is what the Uluru Statement from the Heart is. It is an invitation to the Australian people to meet with us at the Rock. Wow. Which we call, we call base camp in the Uluru Statement. Uh, we've got some grievances to share with the Australian people and we have some solutions to some of our greatest challenges and the offer on the table to the Australian people, if, if they accept our invitation, is to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. Mm. I, as a young person, was just blown away by the graciousness of our old people who wanted to offer an olive branch, a sign of peace to the Australian people. You know, Megan, you just talking that through and and 
as you say, the graciousness of the elders. I mean, I've every time it comes up, I just I I just start crying, you know. It's just um I'm sorry everyone's gonna to listen to my voice go all wobbly. I just um every time I have to talk about it, you know, I had to go on a podcast this morning and talk about it and I just start tearing up. And I think I really am encouraging everybody to go and read or listen to that statement from the heart. It is stunning stuff and a real template for how we can be having these kinds of discussions. What I gather is, though, the referendum, I think there's been discussions as to whether it should be treaty, truth, referendum, you know, which order should it come in? Referendums are notoriously hard to get up, yet you're going with a referendum as a first thing, as the thing that's going to start this whole process. Can you just tell me, I guess, a little why and what it would look like to have this First Nations voice enshrined in our constitution? Like, what are the implications? What happens next if we actually go to a referendum, we overwhelmingly vote for it because it's got to be an overwhelming vote, and, and then we have this voice? How would it play out? Look, if I just answer the end part of your question first. The constitutional voice to Parliament is actually a pretty simple amendment to the Australian Constitution. What it will do is set up the power for the federal parliament to create this mechanism called a voice and that the objects and functions of this voice is set up in legislation through the parliament. It's not dissimilar to how the High Court was set up. The High Court was recognised in the Australian Constitution in 1901, but it wasn't set up in legislation until about five years later. So it's creating the power to set it up. What does it do? This power will compel the Commonwealth to have First Nations people at the table on laws and policies that are made about them. The really key thing here is that one of the reasons you don't get the gap closing and disadvantage is because for the past few decades, there's, Australians find it hard to believe, but there's very few blackfellas, so Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, at the table influencing laws, influencing policies, and that's why they're of such a poor quality. They are poor quality because they are drafted by people who live in Canberra and by people who live in regional bureaucratic sites around the nation, mostly non-Indigenous bureaucrats. So what you're getting is very bad quality policy. What we know from around the world, and I say this as a UN expert of 12 years and having studied many, many sites, or many UN member countries who have significant Indigenous populations and what they do within the democratic framework of their state, what we know is you do get better quality laws and policies when you actually involve the people they're going to impact. I think one of the reasons, Sarah, that this particular reform, the Voice to Parliament, has polled so well with Australians for five years since Uluru is that it's, it's, it's intuitively, it makes sense to Aussies. Like, yes, of course you're going to get better quality laws and policies if you include Indigenous people. I think the wording as well, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's in matters that overwhelmingly relate to Indigenous people. So the voice isn't about, you know, having a say on policies that maybe don't affect Indigenous people directly, but it's the stuff that is affecting them, you know, directly and really impacting that gap that just will not close and has not closed for decades. Is that correct? Like, that's the specific element of it, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. The primary purpose of it is to ensure that anything that's passed under Section 5126, which is the provision 
in the constitution known as the race power, where yeah. the bulk of reform, like the bulk of legislation is passed under for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, that you have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people involved. You know, it's, it's just a very logical reform that we know will work. And so that, that's the voice to parliament. And as you say, the majority of Australians are in favour of it. I think the latest poll that's come out of Vote Compass just yesterday is 73, 74% of Australians, if we went to referendum, would vote yes, which means it would pass. So where are the major parties at then? Because this is a really fundamental aspect, I think, of what each party should be offering as a policy going into the election. We're now less than a week out from the election and I really want everybody listening to this podcast just to get very clued up as to whether the person that they're planning on voting for has made a commitment to this referendum to have this voice to Parliament. So perhaps we can just start with the LNP, Scott Morrison's Liberal National Coalition. I recall that, you know, last election, 2019, he said that, yes, he'd be holding one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. He'd be holding a referendum, but then only a week or two ago, he came out and I think, you know, you and I were communicating on Twitter about this. He's quoted as saying when he was questioned on it, why, why should I? Why should I? So what is the LNP's stance on this? Have they committed? Are they committed to a date? Are they committing to the dates that the Indigenous people are putting forward? What's the stance there? Yeah, Morrison's stance in this election has been disappointing because they did put aside, as you said, leading into the 2019 election, $160 million. It sits there still for the contingency reserve and you can only use it for a referendum on a voice. You know, they ran the parliamentary inquiry into the Uluru Statement and the findings were that there's no other viable form of constitutional recognition on the table, but that they needed to run some kind of design process that enabled Australians to know a little bit about what it might look like. That process has been run because Frydenberg put aside $7 million at the same time as he put aside the referendum money. And so there's a, there's a kind of 300-page report that was handed down a week before Christmas. Most mob haven't read it yet. I think Morrison... Yeah, is saying now that it was never policy, and I don't, I don't think that's true. Actually, I'll, I'll have to write on this because we followed the LNP very forensically. Of course, they're thinking on this. So, but but you're you're right. So he's saying we've never had policy, and we we're not going to do anything to do with the Uluru statement. Not voice, not treaty, not truth. Megan, it wouldn't be the first time that Scott Morrison has reneged or denied or lied about a promise he's made. So I suppose I'm not that surprised there. I'm going to say it straight. 
What about the Labor Party? Yes, yeah, so the ALP, since, you know, the Uru statement came out, has committed to running a referendum on a voice mm-hmm. um, and they support the implementation of the Uru statement from the heart. Um, and that referendum will be run in the first term of parliament. That's what they're saying. So that, that's obviously... Attending to what our First Nations people are asking, essentially. Yeah. You know, you're asking for this, we're, we're going to promise it. The Greens, I think, though, have taken a bit of a tricky tack to it. My understanding is that Adam Band and the other Greens are saying that they wouldn't hold a referendum first. They'd go for truth and the other aspects of those three commitments or those three components, which is a little controversial, I would imagine, although I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, he's come out and kind of confirmed, look, they wouldn't vote against it if it turned out that the referendum was going first. He has curiously reversed the order. So, I mean, that's a pretty significant thing to do because self-determination is really critical to this reform. Our people who participated in these dialogues, there's there's really important reasons why voice is first. It's a sequenced reform. The constitutional voice will anchor the rest of the work that needs to be done in terms of unfinished business. And that, that happens at a Commonwealth level and it cascades across the Federation. What we need right now, and I think most Australians see, politicians are not closing the gap. Bureaucrats are not closing the gap. We need to try something really... We've never tried this in this country. We've never had constitution. This is the one thing we haven't tried. It's time. And we're not delaying that for, for another 10 years of us telling our stories. So the Greens have kind of reversed that order, but we really welcome that they acknowledge that there's an overwhelming sentiment in the Australian population to have the voice referendum. And they say they're not going to block it. And that is really, really important. It is. I mean, they're always going to be on a crossbench, so it's not going to be that they're going to be initiating um, any particular policy. It's just that they won't be blocking it, which is great. You know, obviously you work on a global level with human rights. Where does Australia sit in a global sense when it comes to these kinds of voice to parliament? So I'm one of six experts in the world that sit on a UN body that supervises the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I was also one of a junior lawyer when I helped draft it as well. When you look around at the, so there's about 194 odd member states in the UN and probably just over 70 states that have really significant Indigenous populations and the bulk of them have some kind of democratic mechanism that allows Indigenous voices to speak to power. You know, we know that the Sami parliaments in Finland, Norway and Sweden have them. We know they have them in Russia, like the Russian Federation. We know they have them in Panama and most places in Latin America, like these are not, the are in Canada, so they're not, these are pedestrian conventional changes that most democracies do to recognise that Indigenous communities are vulnerable, but they're also really important because they're distinct cultural groups within the nation. So how do we fare? Pretty badly. I mean, I think the, the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples was drafted at a time when Australia was at a high point of Indigenous policy. Mm-hmm. And so it's really imbued with the policy of self-determination that existed from 1975 to about 2001. So that was bipartisan support, this Australian kind of policy framework of self-determination. So you can see the declaration imbued with a lot of Australian innovations. And now it's a little bit embarrassing being at the UN because Australia doesn't even meet those standards, even though we set the standards. And so we've regressed. Which is just such a common theme that I've been tracking across this podcast series, Megan, on climate, on gender equality, 
on public versus private school opportunities, we've regressed. It's just a pattern which I think many Australians are really shocked to hear about. And I guess the point is these voices to parliament, they work, right? They've proven to work. The data is all there. Yes, the data is there. And someone said to me yesterday, well, you know, if the LMPs return, like, that's it for the worst of Parliament. And I was like, actually, no. I don't think any, I don't think either side of Parliament is going to get away from this, actually. I think the nation has to have the referendum. We have to keep the pressure on because, Sarah, we haven't tried it, but it's the one thing that we know will work. We have not tried a, a constitutional voice. Yeah, and it's and I think it's right. It'd just be nice, wouldn't it, if you didn't have to fight for so long. It'd be nice if we had a government that came in and went, yep, it's time, we're doing it, game on. Hey, listen, the Closing the Gap report and you know, the campaign launched in 2007, so it's around about the same time that this voice movement really started to kick into gear. And there were 17 targets, and I can't recall what they all are, but I know I picked up on the news just how many of those targets have not been met. And in, I think, two or three of them, we've, again, regressed. So that gap is not closing. The one thing I would say, I would make the point, is to connect the Integrity Commission and the issues of integrity to voice. Okay. Because, you know, there are a number of Australian National Audit Office reports into Indigenous policy in Australia over the past parliament or so, which shows that there's really poor decision-making by bureaucrats with Indigenous funds and um, that there's arbitrary decision-making that oh, reports right. aren't kept. Yeah, no, it's really shocking and it gets zero traction in the media. It's intimately connected to the arguments from the Integrity Commission because... You can't use Aboriginal affairs as a way to influence people's behaviour at the ballot box, right? I mean, I know that's what politicians do. You know, even the ANAO has found some of these policy settings to be really problematic. And and so it, it does speak to the Integrity Commission because in some ways the voice will act like not a regulator, but it will be something that scrutinises Parliament's conduct. And so the voice will be a part of that kind of integrity infrastructure that we needed that commonwealth level to keep bureaucrats and politicians to account interesting and to that end i suppose the labor party has a much more solid commitment to an icac that i think is being broadly recognized as the better version by most experts and the lmp version of it is extremely watered down from from what i understand are there any other top line policies that you know, I know that, for instance, uh, Labor just a couple of days ago came out with an Indigenous Ranger program, extra funding, you know, in recognition of how impactful that those programs can be. And I should just alert you to the fact that I've just set up a charity um, that funnels money into one of these Indigenous Ranger programs. So slight vested interest. I don't know if you call it that when I'm giving my own money to it, but I think that that's something the Labor Party is committing to as well. Is there anything else we should look out for? Yeah, look, I think so. Just generally the biggest existential crisis of humankind and Australians is climate change. You know, the sentiment at the heart of the Uluru Statement is, guys, we've got to combat this together and we can't do it if we're not together. We can't do it if we haven't met yet because it's your country too. Australians don't always feel comfortable in that space because they think, well, we dispossess this country, so I don't really have a say, or I don't really know an Aboriginal person, so I don't have a say. All of really is this invitation to say to Australians, 
you know, we want you to get to know, feel comfortable with our culture and with this country because if we don't do that, climate change is just going to run right over the top of us and we weren't prepared. We weren't prepared to do it, face it together. Obviously, climate change is a really important thing in terms of Indigenous peoples and Indigenous peoples' rights because even with the bushfires, Sarah, we weren't at the table. You know, with the vaccine rollout, we weren't at the table. We're just not at the table. And how can you not have the people who know the country the most, who can read the land the most, how can you not have them involved in climate policy discussion? How can you not? And why would you not want to? Because if we go back to the ranger example, I know that there's other countries. I know that in Canada, they're getting Australian Indigenous rangers to go over and teach their own rangers how to manage land better, you know, for fire and so on. They're world-recognised experts, you know, in land management and climate management. It's quite incredible. And, you know, I think the sooner that Australians have that forum for being able to fully recognise the worth of that intelligence and knowledge, the better we'll all be for it. And I guess on that note, Megan, I mean, before you make me cry again with some of the powerful phrasing, I suppose, and compassion that comes with the invitation that First Nations people are operating with, could you let us all know, everybody who's listening, what you need us to do, what you need us to do to support you in getting this voice up now and to closing the gap? Yeah, thanks. So I think there's some really kind of basic things. You know, the, the day of or after I read it out at the Rock, we kind of thought, oh, we need to set up a website and put up this invitation so we can let Australians read it. And so the allerystatement.org website is that website. It's the official website of the Uluru Statement from the Heart and the campaign. I'll put that in the show notes. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. So we'd, we'd love people to sign up so that they can get um, regular updates from us and hopefully after the election get some really detailed, directed instructions about what we're going to do next. But on that email, when you sign up to that, you get a lot of information. What is the drafting on the ballot paper look like? What does the amendment look like in the Constitution? You know, all of the questions that people want to ask. Do you need bipartisanship for a referendum? But all of those kinds of questions we answer and regularly send out. There's also a right to our MP mechanism on that website as well. It's old school local activism that's going to get this across the line. There's also like a donate button if people want to donate $1, $2, $3. You know, any, anything helps in, in, in the work that we do. You know, we do amazing stuff like we translated the Uluru Statement from the heart in 63 languages and you can go onto our website and listen to it in Arabic and Mandarin and, and then there's lots of Aboriginal Torres languages that's translated into two. Um, and, and so donations like that just help us, you know, do activities like, like that. And what would you like us to do on May 21st on Election Day? Vote for a referendum. That's what we want them to do the number of dates in the next parliament where we say the stars are in alignment um, and so there's a number of dates including the anniversary of the 1967 referendum next year that we think um, are propitious and are history making and, and therefore you know, when people go to vote I think vote for a referendum that's what we want them to do we want them to vote for the party that um, is going to deliver this to Australian people and, and you know the party that is actually thinking really seriously about the structural 
reform that is required to empower our people. And I think that's really critical, actually. So that's what we would like people to do. And I think, I think you're not in a position to tell people how to vote, and, and nor am I to a certain extent, but everybody can go and look at the members that they're considering and invariably they will have a statement pretty high up on their website as to whether they support a voice. And I can tell you the Greens and many of the independents have it as their second or third item. The Labor Party has committed to enacting all three components of the Uluru Statement from the Heart the Liberal Party, not so much, and the Greens, well, they're going to agree to, to whatever it is that is the will of the people. So I think I've summed that up as fairly as I can, but I think it's just too crucial to let this be skipped over yet again another three years. It's got to happen this term. Yeah, you're right, Karen. The independents have been fabulous. You know, they've really listened to us, listened to our voice. And that's really important. And also, you know, people like Jackie Lambie, she's just been incredible. She's been absolutely incredible. She is incredible. She is a force. A lot of Australians have come to appreciate, you know, just how she's evolved into that role. She's an Indigenous woman herself, of course, and, uh, yeah, has been quite vocal, I think, on, on some of those matters. Hey, I'm Megan, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And, yeah, I really, really hope for the best and I, I, I'm so excited for a referendum. I think it could be a very healing process and all Australians, I think, would love to see that happen. Yeah, I think so. I think with the election coming up, it's like a sliding doors moment for the nation, but people are kind of getting excited because it's something that makes you kind of smile and feel happy about, like something everyone can do to help contribute to. Yeah, people working together and helping each other out, it, it does make people feel happy. It'd be a nice outcome, wouldn't it? It would be a unifying outcome after, I think, a very long, dark period of fragmentation. It could be the thing that, you know, really, really gets us into a great space again. Good luck with it all. Um, I'm going to keep an eye out for all your work and I'll have all of that information in the show notes for everybody, including details of that range of program if anyone would like to donate to it. You donate, I match it dollar for dollar and our aim is to get a big chunk of cash happening by the end of June. So once again, Megan, thanks. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. 